You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me in the Bible to uh, the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We are in chapter 1 of uh, the book of Acts. We've started, we're in week 3 of this series uh, talking about His Word, His power, His church sends us on our mission. Listen, every single one of us, if you are a child of God, you have been sent on mission. God has planted you where He has planted you to be a missionary for the advancement of the gospel, to push out the darkness where you work, where you live, where you spend time with your hobbies and your habits. God has planted you there for a purpose of being a missionary. And we have said this, that His Word sends us on our mission. His Power sends us on our mission. And as the church, the local body of believers, sends us every single week on our mission. I say this often at the close of the service. As you walk out those doors, you are entering into your mission field. What we are doing right now, we are in a huddle. And we don't just stay at football team would never win if they just always stayed in the huddle. They have to go and they have to execute the play. And as we leave today, as we walk out those doors, we enter our mission field. We have been sent on mission as children of God. I said this the last couple of weeks, and let me repeat it again. The birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. The birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. That's what we're looking at. The book of Acts written by Dr. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, uh, is giving us a historical account, not a, not a boring uh, history book whatsoever. It is a powerful account of the birth of the church and the explosion of the, ch- of the church being sent out all around the world. Today, we get to, st- <coughs> excuse me, we stand on the shoulders of these 12 apostles and these early believers, 120 that the text is going to tell us about. We stand on their shoulders today because of what they did some 2,000 years ago. Birth of the church is the birth of a revolutionary force. No political party can defeat it. Technology will not alter its course. Uh, Even the, the, the demons, the demonic forces, Scripture says, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not overpower it. And with those statements, some might say, some might be tempted to say, well, if that's true, if the church is a revolutionary force and there's nothing that can defeat it, then then why do I need to get involved? Why, when I walk out those doors, why do I need to live on mission? Why, if the church is a powerful force, if nothing can defeat it, why does my faith need to be anything but a private decision between me and Jesus? Well, let me answer that last one for just a second. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture will you see a a believer, a true believer, their relationship with Jesus Christ and that believer being private. You won't see it anywhere in Scripture. We have been called, Matthew chapter 28, we have been called to the mission field. Every single one of us, not just those uh, that, that we send to, the, to Africa, uh, but every single one of us. You live on a mission field right where you are at. The global church, no doubt, is powerful. The global church uh, will not be stopped, that is for sure. But hear me with this part. The local expression of the global church 
can be stopped. That's us. We are an outpost of the global church. We're a local expression of the global church. And this church can be stopped. The world desperately wants to stop us. We see that all throughout our culture. They want to minimize the power. They want to minimize the effects of the local body of believers. Listen, if you politically, or if you publicly, sorry, if you state that there is only one way to God, and that one way is through Jesus Christ, you will be called, if you do that publicly, you will be called narrow-minded. That's just the, the culture that we live in today. They, they believe there are multiple ways that God sits up on some type of mountain, and no matter what side of the mountain you come up, you can get to God. Listen, that not, listen the news is actually better than that. They, they think, the culture that thinks that there's multiple ways to God, it's actually better than what they think. God isn't sitting up on some mountain with multiple avenues to get to Him. Actually, God left the mountain. He came down to where you and I are at, and He said, come and follow me. It's better than what they even think. Listen, if you stand up for what God stands up for, you will be called hated in a growing secular culture. I made a statement just a while ago, just kind of off the top of my head, that I believe that, that, that a baby is born. There is, a, there is a, a baby at the moment of conception. Listen, to, to, to say that is saying, for some people, that is a very hateful statement. You can't destroy uh, that baby. You can't take that baby. That is a hateful, narrow-minded statement for many in our culture. Listen, the global church is fine, and it won't be stopped. But if we, the local expression, are stopped, and it can be, the gospel impact will suffer. The gospel impact on our families will suffer. The gospel impact on our community and the surrounding area that God has allowed us to serve in, the gospel impact here will suffer. On your school campuses, students, the gospel impact will suffer. In your workplaces, the gospel will suffer if the local expression is stopped. Why should we continue to be a revolutionary force doing all we can to bring light into a dark world? That's a question we need to answer. Why should we do this? Well, we've been commanded to. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Every people group, every tongue, every tribe, go and make disciples. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's all of us. We have been commanded to be a revolutionary force spreading the gospel. Listen, we might be a small church, but God has not given us a small mission. God help us if we are a small-minded church. We can't be. We are small, and that's completely okay. That's the context where God has us, but we cannot be a small-minded church. We have been given a big mission, but here's the good news. We have a big God who's given us a big mission, and God has never called us to do anything that He doesn't equip us to be successful. Therefore, if God's given us a big mission, He has given us every tool to be successful in carrying out the mission where God has planted us. Listen, from the very beginning of the birth of the church, the authority of the Word of God and the sovereignty of God were bedrock truths the early believers built on. That's what I want to talk about today. The title of my message this morning is The Early Church's Foundation. The early church's foundation. 
the authority of the Word of God and the sovereignty of God were bedrock truths that the early believers built upon. The birth of the New Testament church was built upon the solid rock of the Word of God and the sovereignty of God. No doubt the rain has fallen on the church. The rivers have risen around the church. The winds have blown and they have pounded on the church. Yet God's church still stands because her foundation is on the solid rock, the Word of God. We must continue. If we this local expression of the global church, First Baptist Church Farwell, if we are going to be a revolutionary force. But let me even make it a little bit more personal than that. If you individually, if you as a family are going to be an obedient revolutionary force that God has called us to be, where God has planted us, then we must do what the early church did. What did the early church do? Well, they submitted to the authority of Scripture. That's point number one. They submitted to the authority of Scripture. Let's look at the text, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15. In those days, and this is the period between the ascension of Jesus, Jesus has been crucified, buried, uh, resurrected. He has ascended on into heaven. This is a a period between His ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, about about 10 days. So somewhere in that 10-day period, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters the number of the people were to, that were together was about 120. And Peter said, brothers and sisters, it was necessary. I want you to underline those three words. It was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus verse 17, for he was one of our number and he shared in this ministry. Verse 18, now this man, speaking of Judas, Luke, Dr. Luke does something here. He is giving a, uh, he's giving an account of Peter's speech. He stands up in front of the 120 and uh, talks about Judas, uh, that, that Scripture had to be fulfilled. And then Luke kind of backs up just a little bit, and he gives us a little bit of background information <clears throat> in verses 18 and 19. Look at verse 18. Now this man, speaking of Judas, acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body burst open, and his intestines spill out. What, what, Peter, what uh, Dr. Luke is talking about here is, is as Judas, uh, after he betrayed Jesus and he went and hung himself, committed suicide, as he fell from the tree, he fell head first, his body burst open and his intestines spill out. That's what Luke is telling us. He fell head first, his body burst open, his intestines spilled out. Verse 19, this became known to all the residents of Jerusalem that in their own language, the field is called, big word, a kildama. That is the field of blood. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling, his being Judas, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one Live in it and let someone else take his position. Verse 21, Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during this whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us from among these. It is necessary that one become a witness with us in his resurrection. Verse 23, So they proposed to Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice and Matthias. 
Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belonged. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. If we're Uh, If we're not careful, we will think this is simply a story of just choosing a replacement for Judas. It is a story of replacing uh, an apostle uh, for Judas, but that is the minor point. That is not the bottom line. If there's anything that might be kind of a, a secondary issue, and here's why I say that. We have no record account of Matthias. No other, this is the only time he is mentioned in Scripture. We know nothing else. And so what that tells me is there's something else underneath that, that God wants us to know, that he has given Luke these words because he wants us to know something. I believe he wants us to know this, that the early church submitted to the authority of Scripture. Look again at verse 16. Brothers and sisters, it was necessary. Another way of saying it, some translations say this, it had to be, it had to happen that the Scripture be fulfilled. I kind of see the, uh, the apostles and the other, uh, there's a total of 120, and I've been in what they believe is the upper room, something very, very similar, and it is a small room. It might be the size of, from this stage back to both sides of the wall. It is a very small room, and for that many people, it was cramped, it was tight. And I believe the conversation around Jesus has, has been uh, betrayed, He has been crucified, He's buried, He's resurrected, He has ascended. And I think the conversation is, why did Judas do that? He was one of us. Why, why would he do that? Where, why would he go and kill himself? Why, why has this happened? And Peter takes the lead, and he says, it was necessary the scripture for, that the Scripture be fulfilled. And then he points us to the prophecy. It's King David that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Jesus. We don't often think of King David as being a prophet, but here we see it. King David was a prophet. He used prophecy. He says, the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Notice Peter's respect here for the authority of Scripture. Watch as he leads these first century Christians to focus on the Word of God. Here they are wondering, they're debating, this is going around the room. Why did this happen? Why, why would Judas do something like that? And, and, and Peter stands up, he goes, I've got the answer. It doesn't make sense to us, but listen, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. So he's pointing them to the Word of God, which is always the best thing for us to do. In good times, we ought to go to the Word of God. In bad times, we ought to go to the Word of God. In between times, we ought to be going to the Word of God. And that's what we see with this first century church here. Look at at the the last part of verse 16. It was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled. Listen, Peter rightfully understands that Judas' act of betrayal was prophesied by King David. Let me, let me share the Scripture with you. Psalm 41, verse 9. Just write this down in the margin of your Bible or follow along on the screen. Psalm 41, 9. Here's King David. He is writing in his mind 
about his own enemy. Not knowing that God is using his words to prophesy about Judas and Jesus. So here's what King David says thousand years earlier, even my friend in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. So here's Peter. He stands up in the midst of these 120 early believers, and he says, what Judas did was the fulfillment of God's preordained plan. That's what Judas did. God, God had already preordained Judas to do this event, to betray Jesus. The question has to be, did David know he's writing prophecy when he penned Psalm 41, uh, Psalm 41.9? I don't think so. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I don't think he did. How, how could he have known? He thinks he's writing just about some of his own struggles. But oftentimes in Psalms, you can see a parallel to King David and Jesus Christ. To the enemies that are coming against King David are the enemies, a parallel to the enemies that are coming against Jesus Christ. But I don't think... I don't think David knew. I want you to look at this scripture. Write this scripture in the margin of your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. I want you to see the power of the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says this. Above all, you know this. Here's Peter just uh, probably 10 to 15 years later as he's leading this church through, through severe persecution, radical persecution. And he's... he's He's now led these 120, now he's leading a church, and he's writing, above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. In other words, let's back that up. In other words, no prophecy that King David prophesied about came from his own interpretation. Verse 21, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, watch this, this is so powerful. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's King David. He thinks he is writing just about one of his own friends at one time who has now become an enemy, but yet the Holy Spirit is carrying King David along to pen these words so that Peter could point back to them and say, the Scriptures had to be, they must be, they have to be fulfilled. And they were. And we see the fulfillment of this Scripture in Judas. Peter's leading this group of 120 believers to deepen their trust in the authority of Scripture. Let me ask you a question. Where did Peter learn this? Like you've, you've seen, if you, if you have children, you have told them time and time and time and time to, get, uh, to do something, and they never do it, right? And then Finally, the light bulb goes off. And you're, or if you're a teacher, you've seen a student. You've taught and you've taught and you've taught and they just don't get it. And then finally, the light bulb goes off. This is a light bulb moment. I believe Jesus is in heaven just jumping up and down. Peter got it. This is an exciting time. How does Peter learn to trust in the authority of Scripture? Because we've seen Peter not trust in the authority of Scripture, right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. It's what Jesus told Peter. And then later, Peter says, get, Peter tells Jesus, no, that's not going to happen to you. I, I, I will die before I let anybody arrest you and take you into Jerusalem, which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And here's Peter. Now he's leading people to trust. 
in the authority of Scripture. How does he get it? Where does he get it from? From Jesus himself. Peter is following the example of Jesus. Write this down in the margin of your Bible. John chapter 13, verse 18 through 19. Follow along on the, on the screen with me. Here's Jesus speaking. This is in the, in, the, in the upper room with his disciples. They're having a meal together. He says, I am not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But watch this phrase. But the Scripture must be fulfilled. Sound familiar? Peter's using it now. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is reaching back into King David's prophecy. Now he is telling all of the disciples, Judas right there by him, he is telling them what is about to happen. That Judas is about to betray him. Watch verse 19. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. So that when you see Scripture being fulfilled, here's what Jesus is saying, when you see Scripture being fulfilled right in front of you, you will know that I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Peter's recalling this as he stands up. I'm sure he's in that cramped room with 120 people, and he hears all of the questions, and the light bulb goes off in Peter's mind. He goes, I remember Jesus saying this, and it's happened. I know that Jesus was the Messiah, but listen, look at the fulfillment of Scripture. Oh man, listen, Jesus is quoting Psalm 41.9. Peter later on quotes Psalm 49. But watch this, Jesus also in John chapter 17 verse 12, in that great prayer, I believe it was one of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture, is that prayer that Jesus prays to God the Father, just where you see this interesting dialogue between God the Father and God the Son, two, but also, or one, but also uh, two. You see this beautiful dialogue in John chapter 17, verse 12. Listen to what Jesus says. While I was with them, he's talking to God. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except for the son of destruction. Who is that? It's Judas. But watch why he says, so that the Scripture may be fulfilled. Peter's heard it twice now. He's heard Jesus say it at the dinner. He's heard Jesus say it in this great high priestly prayer. So that the Scripture (coughs) may be fulfilled. Listen, if Jesus trusted in the authority of Scripture, my stars, we would be foolish not to trust in the authority of Scripture, wouldn't we? Jesus trusted in it. Oh, may we grow in our trust in the authority of Scripture. May we follow the example of Peter, who is following the example of Jesus, to trust in the authority of Scripture, of God's Word. Listen, God's Word is not a collection of man's opinions. It is God's Word. Listen, the Holy Spirit, as He guided men along, He breathed the words into them, starting in Genesis all the way back to Revelation. We saw that in 2 Peter chapter 20. God's Word is not a collection of man's opinions. God's Word is not progressively changing with the tides of the culture, which is what we are being told today. That is false. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God's Word from Genesis to Revelation is the breath of God given to us to reveal that He is God. 
given to us to reveal that Jesus Christ is His Son, given to us to reveal that forgiveness for our sins is made possible through Jesus Christ by His death, burial, and His resurrection. God's Word has been given to us for that purpose. Listen, God's Word is my final authority, not the desires of my flesh. Let me say that again. Here, I want you to be able to say this, that God's Word is my final authority, not the desires of my flesh. The desires of my flesh are constantly in conflict with the authority of God's Word. I'm, I'm like a three-year-old kid at the convenience store, and there's a, there's a deal of bubble gum, and mom says two, and I grab a handful. There's just a battle going on, right? There's constantly this battle of what I want to do and what God wants me to do. That's my sinful nature. Listen, I was born a sinner, but I've been born again a child of God. And so have you if you're a, a, a believer. So are you if you've, been, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. You were born a sinner, but you have been born again a child of God with the power to say no to the temptation that comes our way. The power to say no to our flesh. Listen, God's Word is my final authority, not the shifting sands of culture. God's Word is my final authority, not the generational sins that were committed before me. Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. That means this, I have a new daddy. His name is Jesus Christ. So do you if you're a child of God. You are a new creation. Old things have gone, and behold, look, new things have come. Listen, God's Word is my final authority, not the government. The authority of God's Word was the foundation of the early church. And if you and I individually and if us corporately as a body of believers are going to be a revolutionary force for the advancement of the gospel in our families, in our places of school, in our places of work, in the places where we go as a hobby, then the authority of God's Word must be the foundation of our life and the foundation of this church. We must submit to the authority of Scripture. Number two, not only should we submit to the authority of Scripture, we must submit to the sovereignty of God. We must submit to the sovereignty of God. Listen, God, for the believer, is our King, our Lord, our Master. Watch as Peter leads this group of believers to submit to the sovereignty of God. How many of you know when you have two people in a room, you have four opinions? Right? There's 120 people in this room, plus the 11 apostles. And they have to pick a new apostle. Can you imagine what was going on in the room? Can you imagine the names that were getting thrown out? Can you imagine the, uh, the political jockeying going on in the room? to try to get that spot. Peter leads this group of believers to submit to the authority of Scripture, to say this. We just studied this in the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Watch what he does. Verse 17. For he, speaking of Judas, was one of our number 
And he shared in this ministry, Peter says. Now this man has acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body burst open, his intestines fell out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that field is called Hekildama. That is the field of blood. For it is written in the Psalms. He goes back to the Psalms. And he, he finds the, the prophecy in the book of Psalms. He says this, this is, for it's written in the book of Psalms. He's, again, he's pointing them back to the authority, to the, to, the, to the sovereignty of God's Word. Let His dwelling become desolate. You can check that one off. How do I know that? No Jew is going to step on any land that blood has spilt all over. It ain't going to happen. They even bought the land, the, uh, the, the, high, the high priest. You know, remember after, after Judas betrayed Jesus, he takes the, uh, the, 30, uh, the 30 pieces of silver, throws it at them. They take that and they say, hey, we can't leave this in the temple. It's blood money. So they take it and they go buy a piece of land and they make it a cemetery. No Jew is going to stand on a piece of land that's cemetery. Makes them unclean. The blood of Judas, even though it was days ago, it's still unclean. So, let his dwelling become desolate. Check. That's happened. So, Peter's pointing them back to Scripture. He said, let his place become desolate. Okay, that's happened. Let no one live in it. Of course, it's desolate. So, so check. That's going to happen. That's already happened. Now, watch this. Let someone else take his place. You might ask, well, why does anyone need to take his place? Those, the 11 that we have, they're good. Why do we need to take another one? Well, Scripture says that there needs to be 12, eventually 12 pointing to the 12 tribes of Israel. But that's a whole other sermon. Let someone else take his position. That has yet to be fulfilled. But Peter says, we've done this. This has happened. Now we need a new disciple. There's 120 people together. Why choose one to become a witness? They will all, in just a few days, they're all going to become witnesses of Jesus. Here's what I believe this is showing us. Listen very carefully to this. This is showing us the unique apostolic ministry that had a specific purpose, calling, and function, all of which, hear me, all of which ceased at the death of the apostles. When one apostle died, they didn't replace him with a new one. You might be saying, well, what about Judas? Judas died. Listen, Judas wasn't replaced because he died. He was replaced because he betrayed Jesus. And so Peter leads them in this criteria for a new apostle. Watch verse 21. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, that's the crowd. We, we have to pull somebody from that crowd, from somebody beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, speaking of Jesus. So from the moment, <coughs> from the time of John doing the baptism, uh, possibly even when, when Jesus was baptized by John is the reference that it's going back to. <coughs> from that moment, from, we need to find somebody from that group of people who's been, been with us all of this time, has been going in and out from us to the moment that Jesus was resurrected and ascended. That's who we need to find, somebody that was in that group. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. Scripture isn't clear, but they only have two names. We don't know if there's just only two or if that's just the two that they came up with. Verse 23, so they proposed two. This is interesting. There's four names, but there's only two people. (laughs) 
Joseph, which was the Jewish name, called Barsabbas, that was probably his nickname, son, which means son of Sabbath, who was also named Justus, uh, which is his Gentile name. Oftentimes, Jews would have a Jew and a Gentile name. So, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also named Justus, and Matthias. I kind of have a feeling here, I can't back this up by Scripture, but I kind of have a feeling that that's who they wanted to be the next apostle. It's like, we, God, we know this guy. We know him really well. We know his Jewish name, we know his nickname, and we know his Gentile name. But over here, here's Matthias. Listen, they have a decision to make. And Peter leads them to submit to the sovereignty of God. The content of their prayer is key. Watch the content of their prayer. Verse 24, then they prayed, you, Lord. What are they saying in that? They're recognizing God as king and master and ruler. You, Lord, that's sovereignty. You are our king. You are our master. It's not just a simple address. They are recognizing who he is, the sovereign God, the sovereign king of kings. You, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. We have looked at everyone on the outside. We've done our part. Now, show which of these two, key phrase, you have chosen. Show which of these two you have chosen. Listen, they're not praying for God to choose between these two. They are praying that God would reveal who He has already chosen. The event of Judas, listen, it's prophecy, remember? The event of Judas was not a surprise to God. When Judas betrayed Jesus, God didn't stand up on his throne and go, oh, what now? I need to, I need to start trying to find his replacement. You no, know, he already knew, and he already knew Matthias was going to be his replacement. Verse 25, show us which of these two you have chosen, verse 25, to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them. The lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. Oh, listen, hear me. This is. May we always, always trust God with our decisions. Big decisions, small decisions, everyday decisions, everything in between. May we always trust God with our decisions. May we submit to his rule and his lordship. That's what it means to be sovereign. God is king. He is Lord. He is the master of my life. Jesus Christ is not only my savior, but he is the Lord of my life and yours too as a child of God. Listen, the people God empowers to be a revolutionary force, are, are not perfect performers, but listen, dependent believers. We're not performers. We're dependent on someone greater than us, someone much greater than us, and that is the person who created us, who created this world, and he's the, the Alpha and the Omega. He knows all. And listen, the plan God honors is not complicated, but simple. May we submit to the authority of Scripture and obey it. May we submit to the sovereignty of God and call on Him and trust Him to lead us. That word submit is a word we don't like in our culture today. But yet we do it every single day, and I think it's why we don't like it. We submit when we get in the car to the rules the laws, right? We submit 
and we happily do so, right? Our policeman is in the back corner. So everybody say, yes, we happily submit to those laws. We also submit to the security of, of everybody else driving. That's why we don't like submit. Anytime you, you, you download an app, you submit to the rules. Even though you didn't read it and you checked off that you read it, you are submitting to those rules. Anytime you talk around your phone, you're submitting to someone else listening. I promise you, right? I've seen the ads come up. We don't like that word submit. But can I tell you? There's safest place you can be is to submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your Creator. May we submit to the authority of God. May we submit to the sovereignty of God. Last thing, let me close here. Don't miss, this is big, don't miss the contrast of Peter and Judas. Don't miss the contrast of these two in this text. Remember, they both denied Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Judas denied Jesus. But Judas ultimately rejected him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been denying Jesus with your life today. Today is a day to experience the same forgiveness that Peter experienced from Jesus. Don't let the guilt of your denial of Jesus drive you away from him. You can be forgiven just as Peter was forgiven, just as Peter was restored back into the family. You can be restored. You can be forgiven. All you have to do is ask Jesus for forgiveness, and he will give it to you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 promises that, that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just to purify us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, don't be a Judas and let your guilt drive you away from him. Be a Peter who comes to Jesus and seeks repentance. Listen, don't be a Judas and reject him. Your guilt will destroy you. Your sin will suck out all of the energy of your life. The Bible tells us this. There is appointed a time for a man to die and then judgment. There is appointed a time for all men to die and then judgment. The Bible also tells us that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, every knee will bow, not some, every one of them. Don't let the first time you bow a knee to Jesus be after you die. If that's the first time, it's too late. You will spend eternity in a place called hell. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. There is one way to God through God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ the Son. He has made a way for you to cleanse you, to purify you from all unrighteousness. Will you submit to Him? Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.